Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. I'm Christine Heath. I'm coming to you from Hawaii, and I'm here with my very, very good friend, uh, sister, actually. She's a sister. <laughs> and as you can tell by these, if you've listened to them, we have uh, quite a, uh, a good friendship, and we love working with each other. And her name is? Judy Sedgman. And I'm like a sister from another mother. And I really, I was just telling someone today that Chris is the closest thing to a sister I've ever had. So you must have been reading my mind. Anyway, uh, we're delighted to welcome you to another episode of Psychology Has It Backwards. Today, we're going to talk about the past. And actually, we're going to have like a several series. We're not sure yet because we kind of do these spontaneously, but... um, (laughs) We're going to talk about the past for a couple of episodes because we really feel like that's one of the ways that um, psychology kind of took a big left uh, as as we were going um, through the evolution of trying to help people. And we thought it might be interesting to see why people get so affected by the past in small ways and in big ways. So today we thought we'd just talk about what is the past? Because people talk about, well, that's the past. Well, it's, I have to go into my past. Well, that something happened in my past. And so we talk about it a lot, but if you really kind of reflect on what the past is, it really isn't because the past doesn't really exist. The only thing that exists are the thoughts that we have carried through time the memories that we've had and put into our memory bank. And, but it seems like it kind of was a place. I remember when I was a a young therapist and I was working with people who were sexually traumatized in their families um, by family members. And uh, we would like, literally would seem like, okay, let's go in the past. And it was like, it was a room down the hall that we'd go into this room and we'd start analyzing what happened to the person and going over it and over it and over it in an attempt to somehow make peace with it or to change the way the person felt about themselves or something. But it, it, it would be like we talked about it and made it a thing. So one of our previous episodes, we talked about, is it a thought or a thing? And that the past is one of those things that we have created out of our own thinking it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. So like right now, we were talking about this earlier, right now you're listening to our podcast and we're doing this in real time. It's real for us, but you're listening to the past because <laughs> by the time you hear this, it'll be a couple of weeks and um, it won't be happening in the moment. Right? <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny. And then it'll be in your past. It'll be in your memory. And that's just how it works. Right? is that as we go through life, it's moment to moment. So it's like we're walking along this giant sidewalk and each slab of cement is the next moment. 
that we're walking on and the, the one that we get off of disappears. So mm-hmm. it appears as if we're going somewhere and it appears as if it has some sense of reality, but it doesn't. It's just memory and memory is just thought and it doesn't have any kind of form. Yet it impacts us greatly. So that's kind of a little bit about what we thought we'd talk about today. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to, to be able to do this because to me, for me personally, I know that when I started to look at my past to see why I was depressed, I was like opening Pandora's box. You know, it was like, oh my God, yes, this happened. And then that happened. No wonder I got depressed. Oh, and then this happened. And it became like going into those memories was like it was truth to me. Like I remembered everything the same way. So this is kind of a funny story because one of the things that happened when I was a kid is my dad ran this great opera house called the State Theater. And it had been um, a vaudeville. It was like the biggest vaudeville place west of Chicago at the time. And um, it, and then my grandpa turned it into uh, the silent movie screen. And then my dad brought the talkies into it. And the, I mean, the, you know, modern day kind of movies into it. When I was in the fourth grade, it burned. The um, furnace blew up and burned. Well, we had a cat that when I was a baby would get in the bassinet with me and my mother would freak out because she thought it was going to smother me. So he had been um, uh, sent down to the theater to get the rats in the basement because it was a dirt basement, right? So he is a black cat and he lived in the basement. And um, so when the the theater burned, I was like, oh, Blackie's in there. And my sisters told me, they said, oh, no, he disappeared about three weeks ago. He must have known it was happening. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's so cool that somehow the animal would know this was going to happen. And (laughs) and as it turned out, the movie that was playing was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And (laughs) so this is like a, a big story in the town I grew up in. Everybody remembers it. But like, um, oh, I moved back to Minnesota in 2002 and my, and, and my sister was with me and I was telling the story. I was doing a training or something and I was telling the story about this cat because the story still affected me, right? Is, and and the, the theater and the burning and everything. And she comes up to me and she goes, Christine, that never happened. I was like, what? She said, no, we just told you that so you wouldn't feel bad about him dying in the, in the fire. Oh gosh! <laughs> I, lived, I lived my whole life thinking that that was true, and there was a couple of other stories like that. She told me she said, "Oh, that never happened. We just told you that because you'd get upset." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my God! My whole sense of who I am is is like rocked at its core." That they told me all these <laughs> stories, and I, that's what I thought was true. So we can be easily fooled by our past, and and get yet very attached to something that never happened. Yeah, and interpret our whole life in light of it, you know, like thinking that cats have some kind of impressions. That's really cute. You know, it's funny, I had kind of the opposite experience because, um, you know, I had a kind of uneventful childhood. I mean, I got upset about things that happened and everything, but my, 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 I was an only child and we had a quiet household and my parents were very nice and I wasn't 
highly stressed. You know, I, I didn't have anything going on in my life that got me too worked up. And um, when I got to be an adult, I had this very complicated, high power, stressed out life, you know, with a lot of pressures and a lot of uh, obligations. And, and I told myself, well, you know, I can just think about my childhood when I get upset <laughs> you know, because those were the good days. And, and I guess that's the price you pay for growing up is that, you know, you just, all you have is your past and when it was, when it was easy and everything was pleasant. <laughs> that's really funny because I, so many of the clients that I work with have exactly the opposite story. You know, they're fine now, but their past was horrible. <laughs> and, and it's, it's all thought. You know, even thinking you're fine now. I mean, some people would call fine what other people would call, oh, this is awful. You know, I, I remember uh, I had a, a close uh, friend at a uh, university that I was affiliated with in Florida who uh, every year she went to Africa to teach um, children in this little village. And she would collect school supplies. She was always asking us for money to buy them crayons and paper and things to bring. And, and then she would come back and do a slideshow and, and show us these kids. Well, what she was calling a schoolroom was a uh, three-sided shanty thing. It had a thatched roof and then two thatched sides, and it was wide open on the other side. And what she called, you know, desks uh, that the children sat at were actually uh, logs cut in half so that the top was smooth or sort of smooth and a bench you know, the, a bench that was made out of some other log. And uh, what she called a blackboard was a wall painted black that they had to keep repainting. Uh, you know, it's like a board that was up on the wall and painted black, you know. So she would talk about, oh, I put this up on the blackboard and everything. And then when she showed us the slides, it, I mean, you thought, oh, my God, if, a, if an American child was in a classroom like this, the parents would be at the school board immediately saying, how dare you? And the best part about these slides, though, was the kids were so excited. And when she took pictures, uh, she put up math. She said they loved to learn math, you know, because it was something they, they could count and stuff. And uh, she put up these little math things. And uh, she had one slide where she took it from the back where she stood towards the kids' faces. And it was like at a video. And she made a little video and she was talking about addition and why addition was so interesting and the kids were just transfixed and they had these big smiles on their face and then when when she uh, was leaving she did a little video of them saying goodbye and the kids were like oh come back next year we just love school and it's the only school we have and we look forward to it so much and we'll study we promise you we'll study this things that you left with us and thank you so much for the crayons and they were just falling all over themselves with gratitude and yet, what she was presenting us pictures of was something that would just be intolerable in this country. Nobody would ever put their kid in a place like that, and the kids would be angry. And it was hot and bugs and mice. And, you know. But these were kids that just the idea of learning was so thrilling to them. And I thought, you know, that's a very interesting thing, because when they look back on their childhood, you know, they're going to say, we had this wonderful teacher that came from the United States and she brought us crayons and she taught us math and it changed my life. And yet we have kids in school here that go like, I hated second grade. <laughs> and so, you know, it, we can't, the facts of the past are not what make it what, what we think it is. 
It's what we think about those facts Mm -hmm. and how we interpret them. And that's so hard for people to grasp, but even traumatic things that happen to people, some people say, I learned so much from that experience. You know, it really helped me to grow up or helped me to see this or that. And other people like it ruined my life. Yeah, the the guys in my uh, violence group, um, that we were talking about what what would what would they have done differently, and you know whatever got them there. Mm-hmm. Like, what do they see now about what they would do differently? And um, it was funny because because the, when they answered, they answered a deeper they answered a, with a deeper answer than we asked the question. Because what they said was that oh they wouldn't they wouldn't undo anything because if they hadn't had hadn't acted in that way they wouldn't have been sent to this class and if the if they hadn't been sent to the class they wouldn't have changed as much as they did they wouldn't be seeing what they're seeing now these are basically you know young men in their twenties most of them some of them in their forties depends on if they went to prison or not for. 15 to 20 years, but um, they're able to like look at that, at their past. Like most of us would be like, Oh man, I would definitely not have done that again. But they they said, Oh no, what I got as a result of what I did is more valuable to me than what happened. Now, you know, uh, there are sometimes people that come into the group that can't just can't let go of it. So they keep going over and over how they've been done wrong. And this is, that we call them the ranters, where they go on a rant, you know, and it's like, oh, then they did this and they did that and they did this. And they can't see anything deeper than the past. They just are so caught up in those details of the past. And that's kind of what happens with people that when they have PTSD, right? It's like they're caught up in the thoughts of the trauma. The trauma is over with, right? Like sometimes the trauma happened 30 years, 40, 50 years ago but it's still on their mind. And so it looks like it's this thing called the past that comes in their head and is troubling them, but it's just their memories, the thoughts they created about whatever they went through that they carry through time. And that's how, that's why everybody reacts differently to a trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, a family where you have a, a parent who's, you know, malfunctioning big time and beats the crap out of the kids You'll have two or three kids in the family that can't function very well in society. They get into fights and they get into trouble with the law. And and then you've got one or two kids that just totally rise above all that and don't get caught mm-hmm. up in it. Now, if it was the what happened to them, what the past that was doing it to them, they'd all have slightly different versions of the past, but it would still they'd have those things that happened. So we're not talking about like what the facts of what happened in life are. Although as you get older, let me tell you that you can definitely get fooled by that too. <laughs> you know, like we're at my class reunion, we were talking about, Oh, remember in the 10th grade, we did this and somebody would say, that wasn't the 10th grade. That was 11th grade. Like, Oh really? Was it? Were you there? <laughs> yeah, I was there. I said, I don't remember you. Yeah. I don't remember you either. You know, it, it, it's just <laughs> funny how, you just remember things so differently because it's no longer real. Yeah. It's like right here, right now, as you're listening to this podcast, that's all you got for reality, right? Mm-hmm. And how you're thinking about it and how you're hearing it and seeing it, that's coming from you. 
Mm-hmm. And it has been, no matter what you went through. It's always mm-hmm. your experience of the most god-awful, horrendous thing is still coming from you. Mm-hmm. And, you it, know, and it, it, the interpretation that you put on it is what you remember. So it looks like it gets realer and realer every time you bring it to mind. I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted. No, no, I interrupted you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of, um, and, and the more you tell the story, right? It, it's kind of like the more you tell the story, the more accurate. So by the time my sister told me about the cat being in the, the theater, I must have told that story a thousand times, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I was like, what? It was, and it felt so odd because it was like my reality just shifted, you know, like, oh, I was living in a reality that was based on something that wasn't ever true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and a lot of people do that, you know, because sometimes we make up, again, it's interpretation, but because um, I remember um, my, my uncle, Frank, who was, uh, was in World War I, my father was older when he married my mother. My uncle Frank was the oldest person, the oldest brother in the family. And uh, he was in World War One, and he was a uh, he had wanted to be a concert pianist, and it actually started at the Yale School of Music. Wow! When he was went in the service, and he was an uh, a artillery man, and and as a result of the shooting, I guess whatever happens to your hands from handling the guns and everything, he no longer could, he no longer had enough feeling in his fingers to be that level, and he had to drop out when he came back. They wouldn't let him proceed so he became a piano teacher now when I was little I when I first saw my uncle Frank I really loved him and I felt sorry for him I could feel sadness around him I had that feeling of him but I didn't know anything about what happened and I used to think gee why is he just a piano teacher I mean you know I mean he he knows so much about music and he plays so beautifully and he did play you know regularly beautifully and I would think, well, maybe he's just lazy or, you know, I'd, I'd have thoughts in my head about making up about how Uncle Frank just didn't want to go the distance to become a piano player, uh, a, a, you know, a professional piano player. And, and my father didn't tell me until I was about 12, I guess, about the war because it wasn't something he thought I should know about. And uh, when I found out about what Uncle Frank's, whole story about all the bravery and all the things that he'd done in the war and how that completely changed his life. My whole understanding of my uncle completely changed. Yeah. And like, I, again, it's, I interpreted truth. They told me the truth that, you know, that he's piano player and he was going to go to this, but then he didn't, but they didn't tell me the whole truth. And when I got the rest of the story, I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, he was a hero. I never really appreciated and understood him. And fortunately, he was still alive and I could talk to him. But but uh, so that's another thing is that we don't know that the things that we think are true are actually the truth because right. everybody's reality is completely created from their the cloth that they weave. Yeah. And, you know, like um, I just got an email from Judy Banks. And uh, she told me that Sid Banks, she thinks he had a black belt in karate. And and who knew that? Like, I didn't know that. That Sid Banks would be a, uh, I guess in the the United States, you pronounce it karate. But 
and they pronounce it karate here. Um, anyway, it, it's, it was like, who knew that about that guy? And he volunteered at a crisis shelter. Huh. That's I before didn't know that had his experience. I didn't know that either. You know, it, it's, it's like you get one thought like that. And then it's like, oh, you see the person just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and that absolutely. also goes for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. like we make up stuff about what's happening to us as we're going through it. And then we live as if that's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sometimes we think things that are not true. You know, we just make up stuff about when things are happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the basis for how we see ourselves, our life, and how we relate to other people. And if you, if, you do the, if, you, if you get too negative or you make a big insecure thought up about yourself, you suffer because you're mm-hmm. living as if that memory is actually true. Yeah. yeah. So it's just interesting how, how, you know, and this is true whether it's like, you know, I think Sid told us a story that there was um, uh, a couple and um, – the woman would make ham and whenever she'd make ham, she'd cut off the end of the ham. And, and so one day, um, evidently she watched her mother. That's how her mother made ham. She cut off the end and then she cut off the end. And and her daughter came up to her and said, mom, why do you cut the end off the ham? And she goes, well, I don't know. It's just the way my mother made it all the time. And so she went to her mother and she said, mother, what, why did you start cutting off the end of the ham? And she said, oh, it was too big for my pan. <laughs> That's a you great know? story. Yeah. And so we develop the ways we do things, all of our likes, our dislikes, everything is just kind of based on how we're making up life as we go through it. And then we live in those thoughts, those memories as if they're truth. Mm-hmm. But they had some important meaning that they might not have. That yeah. is a wonderful story, though, because that could have gotten passed down through the generations. <laughs> every yeah. generation thinking, well, there's something bad about the end of the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it, it, and, of course, it would take the young person coming up to question it, you know, like. Right. Yeah. Doing that. Well, because we've already done, always done it that way. And, you know, like how many times do you even say that about yourself? Well, I'm not the kind of person that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Or I don't like, you know, all all the things that the thoughts that we have about life, they come from the way that we are thinking in the moment, but we don't realize we're thinking in the moment. And then it goes into memory as if this is the truth. I think this. Right. Right. You know, it's funny because my my husband was um, the other day. He was he was doing some my husband's kind of gotten into his culture and his retirement and um he um, he was studying, he was talking about his mother. And he, I mean, my, my husband had a really tough childhood. You know, he really had a lot of, uh, a lot of insecurity in the family and violence and stuff. And um, he was starting to think about it for some reason. He was going back on his past. Like he said, why would my mother do that to me? Why would my father do that to me? Why, why would they, you know, like, and as he did this, he starts getting mad at me. Right. Like as the, as the week went on and I'm like, okay, so I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. And then he kept doing it. And finally one day I told him, I said, I said, you know, honey, 
I think that you're really caught up in your negative past again, and you're kind of projecting it onto me. So maybe you should like stop thinking about that so much right now. And you know, it's funny because he looked at me, he didn't say a thing. He looked at me and that was it. And he, he stopped being upset. He stopped thinking about it. And he started having, you know, more warm feelings towards me, which of course made me very happy. But, um, you know, th- that's just kind of how the past works, right? It's like you get thinking about it. It gets real. Now, when I first met him, he would tell me stories. My husband's a great storyteller. So he'd start telling stories and he'd tell me these stories about his past when he was a kid. And I could feel the enormous pain as he would tell the story. So we'd be driving along, we were dating and we'd be driving along and I'd go, Hey, what are they building over there? And <laughs> or I'd say, Hey, sorry to interrupt, but can you like, can we go down the street? I've never been here before. And so the last time it happened, I, I did that. And he said to me, he said, why is it that every time I bring up the past, you change the subject? <laughs> and, and I said to him, I said, well, you, you can't see that the past is just a thought now. And so when you remember it and you talk about it, you suffer. Yeah. So if I distract you from it and you stop thinking about it, you, you don't suffer so much. And then maybe two years later, he was talking to me one day and he said, you know, the thing that's helped me the most about these principles that you talk about is that when you told me the past was just a thought. Yeah, I said that. that helped me more than anything. Yeah. And so he just probably would also have meant a lot that you didn't want him to suffer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so when he got into it this time, right, then he, it, it triggered like, oh, yeah, the past is thought. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just it's easy to get caught up in our painful past. And so that's I think what we're going to be talking about in the next episode and we hope that you'll join us for that. Yep. And meanwhile, we we're in the past for you now, but we've had a great time making this podcast. That's right. <laughs> Aloha. Have a good week. Aloha. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com.